Welcome to an exceptional edition of Rebellion's Educational Series, where we're going to tackle active versus passive investing with one of the most brilliant investors I've known my entire life, 20 plus years, Lee Spellman, head of U.S. Equity at J.P. Morgan. Thank you so much for coming on. It's my pleasure, Alex. So my first question is, an active versus passive, are you still seeing alpha in today's markets? It's a great question, and the issue of active versus passive, as you might imagine, is something that I deal with every single day. And because investors are looking for returns, and obviously they have a choice to go passive, where you pay very, very low fees, but you just get the index, or you can invest with an active manager and try to get returns that are going to be in excess of that index. And what we've seen most recently, particularly in the year 2020, was really good returns across the industry uh, in terms of active management. I think part of the reason there's so many pressures on active managers is that the alpha isn't necessarily consistent. So in other words, I'm a big fan of passive investing for tactical allocations. So let's say right now, you just want to increase your allocation to small cap or you want to increase your allocation to emerging markets very tactically. Sure, you don't have the time to do the manager research right now. Go ahead, invest passively. But when you're thinking about the longer term, more of a strategic allocation, then I think you should go with a manager that has proven ability to add excess returns over time. And it's all about the fundamental laws of active management. You want an investor with skill so, and how do you measure that skill? You measure that in terms of forecasting. So, you know, your, your information coefficient. You want a breadth of insights. So you want a broad pool to choose from. And then you want very good portfolio construction so you can get that transfer coefficient to lead to a very strong information ratio because the key is delivering returns at the appropriate amount of risk. So someone can deliver very high returns, but perhaps take way too much risk. Um, so it's very important to look at that risk-return trade-off. But is that a reference? To, I was just going to say, Lee, is that a reference to like a con condensed manager? Like, for instance, Rebellion's seed investor Glenn Greenberg uh, chooses to have as much as twenty percent of his holdings in one uh, stock. Do you have an opinion on that? Uh, that takes an enormous amount of skill to do that well, and it takes a client base that will be willing to stick with it. So we found that if you concentrate your portfolios too much, you do get much greater volatility in the returns. And many clients can't live with that. They love the year when you're 10% above the benchmark. But if you're 10% above one year, you could easily be 10% below another year. And many clients don't have the staying power. Um, to stick it through the cycle. And I think that's also a big issue with active versus passive. You know, we live in a world today where everything's instantaneous. So early in my career, the way you knew how your portfolio was doing was waiting for your quarterly statement to arrive in the mail, yes, the snail mail, and you would open it up and see how you were doing. And, you know, you would check it a couple of times a year. Today, people have their phones and they check their portfolio returns constantly and they don't necessarily have patience and that can lead to very bad behaviors because in my more than 40 years of experience in the equity markets one thing i am passionate about is that you cannot time the markets 
in all these years, and I've met many, many brilliant investors, I've quite frankly never known anyone who's been a good market timer. You might get a lot of press because you got out before a big downturn, but did that same investor get back in? Uh, even this even this past year, I know a lot of people were very proud of getting out when the virus first started, but they didn't get back yeah, in your on defense, March 23rd. Mar Marty Zweig became famous for going on Wall Street Week with Louis Rukeyser and forecasting the 87 crash, whereas if you look at Zweig, the amount of returns the following 20 years, you know, they were none too impressive. So often people will get credit for these kind of one-time calls and then never be right over again, really. And, uh, you know, in our data shows that, you know, every single year you get corrections in the market. You always get corrections. And I find in talking to our clients, I often hear, I'm not going to get into the market until there's a correction. And when there's a correction, then I'm going to buy. And what happens is you get the correction. And do the people buy? No, because whatever, each correction is different. And then they get scared and they don't do it. And then they wait till the market comes back again and they tend to reallocate at the peak. So, I think a key tenet of investing is that you have to be willing to put your money in for a longer time horizon. You know, we evaluate our portfolio managers and research analysts on the long term, on how they've done over three, five, and 10 years. And that's the way we think our investors should evaluate portfolios as well, not over three months or a year or even two years. It has to be the long game. And that's where the benefits of active management really come to pass. And it's gonna be more important in the future. You know, I remember, uh, you know, and the consensus is often so wrong. We, we all remember after the financial crisis, when, you know, if you went back to 2008, 2009, you were looking at a 10 year return on the S&P that was actually negative. Yes. And the forecast going forward was don't expect good returns going forward. The days of strong equity returns are over. Maybe you could expect, uh, you know, low single digit, three, four, five percent returns. Bond, bond returns over 50 years, I think in April of 2008, April of 2009, I think it's April 2009, had clipped above equity returns. And then, of course, never right. approached over Exactly. So, yeah. And so what's happened now when you look at the look at the return over the last 10 years, the S&P yeah. has returned 15 percent annualized. And yet people are still forecasting going forward, very low returns, equity returns, four to five percent. That makes active management even more important because most people need better than four and five percent. If you're a pension plan, an endowment, an individual saving for retirement or for your children's education, you need a greater return than that. And one way to do that is an active manager, because if you're expecting four to 5% returns from large cap U.S. equities, and you could get another 2% on top of that uh, compounded annually, that makes an enormous difference to your total return pattern in the future. Especially in an environment where one of every five U.S. dollars is printed in the last 18 months. So Yes. You know, you know, one must uh, rise above that and equity markets are really one of the best tools. So has alpha become a harder goal to achieve than when you started in the business? Uh, well, I started in the stone ages. Uh, so that was uh, a long time ago, but I'll, t but I'll tell you a funny story. So I was at Wharton undergrad. I was a finance major. And, uh, and you're a pen trustee now, aren't you? Yes. Yes. And my advisor at the time said, I was thinking of a career as a securities analyst. And my advisor at Wharton said, big mistake. Don't do it. You cannot 
add alpha over the market. Now, this was, this was not an active passive debate back then because that wasn't as prevalent. It was more an efficient market hypothesis, random walk theory. It was that you cannot add value. I'm glad I didn't listen to that advice because I think you absolutely can add value. I think well, we prove it in the market all the time. If you really invest in bottom-up fundamental research, I think you can have an edge oh. and look beyond what's going to happen over the next few months, but try to think more strategically about your investment ideas. Lee, three years ago, I published a paper with Cornell Financial Engineering where I run research and teach that proves, in fact, that good managers tend to outperform and bad managers tend to underperform. And so if someone is bad at buying steel companies and they buy U.S. steel, that's actually a good indicator for a potential short. Not saying it is a short, but it becomes a better than average potential short. And so there's, there's definitely you know, people who produce alpha and negative alpha consistently. Yes, but I will also say to that point that even the most brilliant manager uh, does not produce alpha every quarter or every year. So you do oh, have to course. be prepared as an investor to understand that there is no such thing as perfectly consistent alpha. And I know that disappoints some people, but that's just a fact of life. And you have to, again, look at returns over a, an investment cycle. Yeah, no, our, you know, uh, Glenn, Glenn sat on uh, 7 million shares of Valiant from 262 down to you know, 50 or 60 or 30, who knows wherever he went out. So that, that year, obviously, 2015, you know, was a very bad year. And then you look at someone more public, like a Bill Ackman, who's had these phenomenally terrible years and these phenomenally good years. And I can tell you my uh, family has an account, Bill, and it's gone up a lot despite having a ton of volatility. So, you know, there there is a return to be had uh, with better managers. So how do you find these great individuals? How does JP Morgan rise above the rest? We take our time recruiting and we try to recruit really talented individuals. And we do that in a number of ways. One, through our summer intern program, where we hire promising uh, students. And um, we don't, to be honest, we don't really care what their major is. So yes, I did major in finance, but a lot of our uh, talented individuals don't necessarily come with uh, financial or economics backgrounds. They're just really good at whatever they are studying. They're good critical thinkers. Often they are part of the investment clubs at their schools. We find that's really useful. And they have, the key thing is they have a passion for learning, for investing, for the world around them. One reason I've always loved this business is that everything that happens in the world, from a geopolitical standpoint to look what's happened in the past year with COVID, everything is reflected in markets each and every day. And your job is to make sense of it all and figure out where you want to invest the money. So, um, so we really find the summer intern program works really well because we get a chance um, to really uh, know these individuals well over a 10 week period. And then we, um, you know, we hire then after that. And then we also do a lot of mid-career hires where we'll, we'll take people who already have a particular skill. And as you know, in the world of, of asset management, it's all about being an expert in a particular area. So uh, in my team, where we manage about $360 billion on behalf of our clients, we have uh, research analysts who cover every single sector, uh, from software and services to biotechnology to regional banks, every single 
uh, sector, and we do it also globally with our colleagues based in Europe and Asia. And so they become subject matter experts in those areas. And actually, Lee, speaking of your research, more research that I'm actually looking to publish is on the lag time now in returns of European equities because of MIFID too. Now that all these hedge funds and mutual funds can't use soft dollar to get research, they're getting their information slower than previously. And so alpha is taking longer to disseminate within the market. And so in fact, having intelligent research gives you an information ratio that provides a significant advantage over your competitors. Yes, I'm not sure I would attribute the underperformance in Europe uh, simply to MIFID. I mean, MIFID could certainly be a factor. But yeah, I think if you look at market, I think if you look at markets, I think if you look at markets over the last couple of years, yeah. obviously the big leaders, maybe not today, but the big no, leaders no, have no, growth stocks and, and tech stocks. And you know, Europe has always lagged in that area. They, they're basically not ex, non-existent in the whole TMT sector. Very interesting. So what hiring trends are you seeing now? I have to tell you, Rebellion has the directors of Columbia, Cornell, and Berkeley's financial engineering schools on our board, and we're working with nearly 200 students. So the top of my interest is really helping my students get these great jobs at JP Morgan that they covet so much. So any advice you could give would be lovely. I think some of the things we've been looking at more recently, in addition to what I said earlier, which is just a passion for investing and being really good at whatever you do. I mean, obviously we look for academic success, but also areas like, uh, and I know you, you've been a leader in this, Alex, uh, data science. So we are using a lot more uh, data analytics in our portfolios. So for candidates who have uh, knowledge base and experience in that, that's something we look for. Obviously ESG is very topical. Uh, you know, ESG was even big early in my career, believe it or not, with tobacco stocks and others. But now it's really come to the forefront in a different way with sustainability and, and renewable resources, et cetera. So people who have some expertise in those areas uh, as well. Uh, but I think being just a good critical thinker, uh, good analytically, good communication skills, because sometimes you can have someone who actually has a lot of great skills in terms of uh, their technical and analytical skills, but they have a hard time communicating. And then that will be very difficult because your ideas are unlikely to make it into portfolios or if you're, if, as you're communicating with clients, they might not necessarily truly understand the impact of what you're talking about. So communication skills are also very important. Oh, great point. Communication skills are so important. Communication mixed with passion really just manifests itself in you know, the ideal worker. So this has been a phenomenal conversation. I really appreciate you coming on. And I guess my last question would be general words of wisdom that you would give to anyone seeking a career in finance. I think it's an incredible career. So don't listen. I'm glad I didn't listen to the advice that I got back in the 70s. And don't listen today if somebody tells you uh, there's uh, no future in the asset management business. People are always going to need help managing their money. Most people are very uncomfortable managing their own money. Yes, they need they are. help. And, I don't manage uh, my own money anymore. I don't like it. You no, know, and even very sophisticated like that. Even very sophisticated people don't like managing their money. They want to entrust it to experts. And I think when you look around the globe, 
more and more people are becoming wealthier, uh, particularly in areas in Asia and other parts of the world. So I think globally, the trend is going to continue to be very, very strong. I think it's a great business. And you know, I've been working for over 40 years, and I hope that everybody listening to this call as they think about their career will have the same message. I have every day I get up and I can't wait to go to work. And I know that might sound strange, but I love what I do. And oh, no, that, that's I, a great I, point. I, Jack Palin said in City Slippers 40, 30 years ago, the yeah. meaning of life is happiness. And whatever right. that route is for your own happiness, that is the meaning of life, which is why I think asset management will continue to grow because frankly, running your money is not fun. You want to outsource that so you can maximize your own happiness. And for someone like you, Lee, who loves running money, you're able to maximize your happiness by helping others alleviate their stress. I, I also bore very easily. And one thing about this business, it is never, ever boring. Indeed. Not every day is a good day. There are a lot of days that are stressful and, and bad. You don't like to lose money on behalf of your clients. Mm. But every day is different. And I love that. I started in the business really in 97 with the Asian crash, the 98 with the LTCM crash, and then the 2000 crash. So I thought the crashes were just kind of, you know, the way of the world. You go to Six Flags, you get your crash. But, uh, <laughs> you know, anyway, uh, you know, this was a pleasure, Lee, and you stay safe during these crazy times. Thank you, Alex. Thanks for having me on your show. Uh, the pleasure is all ours and honor entirely.